0: Welcome to the BizDad Podcast, where we dive into the melding of fathership and entrepreneurship with your host, the original BizDad himself, Adam Labar. Adam is a Christian, a former Air Force officer, a dad to three amazing kids, a coach, a real estate investor, and a business owner. On this podcast, he'll explore the unique journeys of amazing dads who are striving for greatness in both business and family. So whether you're a dad who is an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business owner, or simply a man striving to be a better dad, get ready as the BizDad brings you conversations to inspire, challenge, and equip you to be a better dad and entrepreneur. And now, here's Adam. Adam.
1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the BizDad podcast. I am uh, truly excited about our guest today, John Ballinger. Um, I think he is going to provide some massive insight and excitement. If uh, for nobody else, the conversation with me, I'm excited about it just to be be able to chat with him. Um, We've got a lot of things that we've uh, overlapped on in life in various different spots, so I look forward to kind of chatting and digging a little bit deeper. But uh, John, if you can, please introduce yourself, tell us about your family, and then uh, a little bit about your business.
2: Yeah, Adam. Hey, first of all, thanks for having me on. I I am equally as excited just to talk to you. So if it's the two of us today, then then it's a,
1: it's a then win. it's a good one.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's a good one. So um, Adam, I'm a 20-year retired Marine, uh, helicopter pilot by trade, just retired in October and uh, relocated with my family um, to Colorado Springs, Colorado. And got a wonderful wife of fifteen years, and our story is is truly phenomenal how god inter- interwove our our interactions to end up as a married couple but we have two boys eleven and seven uh, My oldest is Lincoln youngest is Hudson we had uh, a daughter in between um, but she is uh, she she passed away right after birth well three months after birth so we're we're a happy family of four and Man, loving this next chapter, you know, trying new things, trying to expand my horizons. I purposely avoided going back into av- aviation and purposely avoided going into military contracting because mm-hmm. those seem like somewhat safe uh, bets that I wanted to try to, to grow from. Um, so what? two things, two or three things that I'm actually doing. One, I started with two other partners, uh, a real estate development company that's based out of Oklahoma. And we're focused on just taking properties and and really adding value to those and and expanding the capacity and the capabilities of those properties. And um, also doing some coaching, some executive coaching, uh, one-on-one coaching for individuals who are just seem to be stuck in a place that they, they need a little assistance getting out of a little bit of accountability, so I do that um, for individuals and for I come in and speak to corporations um, just on anything and everything that that they may need help with so really excited um to to put my hand to different things, but mm-hmm. it is also trying at times as well so that's uh that's what i'm currently doing
1: that's awesome yeah i uh, I had a similar thing when i when I left I was like there's no i've got Zero desire to be the guy that uh took off the uniform, put on the suit, and sat in the same seat. Like it just, I, mm-mm. I did not want to yeah. deal with, didn't want to do that, didn't want to. Um, I ran away from as uh, pretty much everything that I was doing. I said, now I'm not doing anything near that. So, um, yeah, I, I hear you on that one. But, um, man, I, uh, uh, typically I jump in and try to ask about your father, but I like I, my daughter is five months old right now,
3: and I. It literally, It wasn't expecting to hit so emotionally so quickly
1: at the beginning, just thinking about that. like I could not imagine what yeah. you went through. Um, yeah. uh, can you just talk to me a little bit about that? If for no other reason, then, then I'm going to control my emotions while you talk. So.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, Adam, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of dads, new dads, that say, I can never go through what you went through. Um and i I like to challenge that because God has made us very resilient. God has made us um to to want to have faith and so our daughter was born on Christmas day and a couple of weeks early, but not not too not too much, and no um expected complications. She was our second child, so you know we of course did all the screenings and all the tests and thought everything was was going to be you know work out perfectly um so it was born christmas day we we showed up at the hospital we were stationed on hawaii at the time uh, on oahu and immediately after she was born and i was able to cut the umbilical cord the nurses um rushed her out of the room uh lack of pulse and and very uh shallow if she was breathing at all it was very shallow and they put her in an incubator and, and started working on her. Well, there's only one NICU, uh, neonatal intensive care unit on Oahu, and that's in Honolulu. So they had to rush her from the east side of the island where we were in Kailua over to, to Kapiolani Hospital. And there she, um, she was for 86 days, and they ran a full battery of tests. Every day was something new. Every day was something different a new strategy a new thing a new discovery some days were high some days were low Um, and it, it was interesting because we at no time knew really what was going on found out probably month two that there were only two cases in the world that were documented similar to hers and in those two cases both child died within four months so that gave us you know something to work off of And ironically, when we were told that, our faith only increased. Um, Unfortunately, our lungs, heart, and kidney all started failing um, at different points in her stay at the hospital. And um, yeah, on the 86th day, we had to say goodbye. Um, And it was was really interesting uh, because... The whole time she was at the hospital, my wife and I's faith continued to grow, continued to, man, we just got bold. I mean, I I told doctors that I was going to walk out of the hospital with my daughter. Um, I told the Marines that I was working with. I was the maintenance officer uh, at the helicopter squadron at the time. I told, you know, 150 of them that I was going to walk my daughter back into the squadron one day and they were going to get to to meet her. Um, So just bold. Bold words, bold actions. And um, when she passed away, um, it had some pretty devastating effects. Uh, My wife obviously took it the hardest, and she really had to dig deep and figure out what she truly believed. And and we both have been believers. We've both been raised in the church our whole lives. And um it was really hard and she had a really hard time going back to faith and going back into church and being in those circles but I just told her you know one two things one I said we lost our daughter I'm not going to lose you mm-hmm. and the second thing was you know that if we have to go back to the basics and we have to start all over let's just focus on one thing I love you God loves us and we're together so let's let's start with you know, just working on that, and you know it's been eight years now. And I will say that she has made a drastic, drastic uh, return back to her former self, and she's still on fire and and still uh, believes in healing and faith. And you know, it didn't happen to us, um, but that's okay, and that's that gives us a story to tell to to do this right—to s- sit in front of each other and talk about how the struggle is real and how faith doesn't always pan out into the perfect scenario, but we still believe and we still keep going on. And so, um, yeah, so we, we took a, you know, a pause and just kind of tried to reconstruct our family and our faith and who we were. And uh, then we were blessed with a third child, Hudson, who came uh, a year and a half after, after Brooklyn. So now like I said we're family of four, and we're incredibly happy and, and incredibly excited to see our daughter uh, in heaven one day
1: yeah so wow, that is uh yeah that's i mean i it like, of course hits me i think a little stronger since I have the little five month old little girl hanging out over yeah. there, you know, and it just I could not imagine um and it, it's one of those things that that through you never know, you know, how you're going to react until something like that happens. Um, yeah. and, uh, I'd love, like, obviously faith had a huge impact for you in, in being able to work through that. Um, yeah. uh, and you know, those, those types of trials and those types of tests either, you know, uh, if, if we stay with it, our faith ends up being way stronger at the end of it yes. than it was at the beginning. Um, yes. and it, 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 uh. uh I'm speaking as if I've I've ever lost a child, and I, I couldn't. And that's not the intent, but more just trials and tribulations as, as life yeah, as sure. life throws at us, right? And it's um, uh, let, let me ask about your wife going through that, right? And and yeah, you, how yeah. how were you best able to support your wife through that, <laughs> especially like now she's she's not only obviously heartbroken about about losing her daughter, um, but. Now, obviously, we're probably angry at God and and yeah. and what like for even allowing that type of thing to happen because it's it's one thing for us to have conversations um, that, that we just throw out in the ether as far as like you know how does how does God let tragedy happen? Uh, but yeah. it's another thing to look at and say okay, yeah, but that tragedy is now right here. Like it's not yeah, it's sure. not this this tragedy out there. But so, so can you? How did, how did you best support your wife through that? Or, or maybe how did you fail to support your wife through that that you would love to, that, that, to do over if you could?
2: Yeah. Um, it was a time of a lot of learning. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: l- one, learning about communication, learning about the grieving process, learning about support. You know, when um, there's an 83% chance families will separate when there's a death of a child, and we somebody one of the doctors told us that before we even left the hospital, before our daughter was even um, yeah. had, had wait, even way to put away.
1: that in my brain. Thanks, thanks, doc. Yeah, it, but
2: so that tells me two things. One, there's a really small chance you can stay together, but there's a chance, mm-hmm. right? The odds are are against you. But man, if you are one of those people that say you know what i like those odds because somebody's making it let's figure mm-hmm. out what they're doing so i had to learn a couple things um one was communication you know we obviously men and women communicate vastly different and we had to quickly figure out i had to quickly figure out that sometimes not saying anything, not having the answer, not being able to fix the problem Mm -hmm. as most guys want to do is okay in this scenario. Some of the best memories, remembrances I have of us grieving together is me just arm around my wife, weeping together because there's no words that you can say. And, and for guys, it's kind of weird that we think, well, I got to say something. I want to, I want to provide something, you know, very philosophical that can, fix this problem but it can't so sometimes just sitting in silence does the trick Mm -hmm. um another thing that we had to really work through is the grieving process and and i like you know I, i tell people my wife and i both got to experience our daughter for 86 days on earth but for my wife she had her in her belly for nine months Mm-hmm. That is a much longer relationship, a much harder thing to grieve. A- and we even, my wife and I, talk about losing, you know, a child that's 22 years old or, or you know, 30 years old. It's the longer you spend with them, obviously, the more attached you become. But my wife was very, very grieved. Where I had 86 days; those all 86 days were spent in the hospital, um, in a very isolated environment and and very sterile. But the way I would grieve is I would take my surfboard or my stand-up paddleboard out, far out in the, in the water. And out there, I would get angry. I would shed tears. I would beat the water and yell at God and try to figure out why this happened. And I would come home and I would be okay. My wife would be home with our, our two-year-old son grieving I obviously would I would be over it for the day and she would be in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't see me grieving. And so for a while it was a very hard thing to communicate because she never saw me grieve. So she thought I was okay with it or I was over it and I had moved on. Where in reality we were just grieving two different ways. And so when it was a it was a struggle to communicate that until I realized she just wanted to hear. That I was having a tough day, or I thought about Brooklyn, or something reminded me of her, or I saw a girl—you know—a a five-year-old girl that, man, that could have been our daughter, um, you know, whatever. But the key was telling my wife, "Hey, this is what I'm dealing with today." Instead of just thinking, "I'm just gonna," you know, "I'm just gonna keep it," you know, submerged and and not, it, I'll wait till it gets over. Um, and so that was a big lesson for me. And then the third thing was just being patient, being patient, knowing that every Christmas, every Christmas day, we celebrate birth of Jesus and the birth of our daughter. And, and those are two joyous occasions, but one, you know, obviously the birth of our daughter and then losing her later is, is very bittersweet, but she may grieve our daughter until I'm dead. Yeah. You know, that may be a reality and and that's okay with me now. I just I always thought it was something that you eventually just get over. In reality, you never truly lose that memory, you never truly lose that experience. No matter how old your your child or, or that person you lose may be. So just you know, it was it was a lot of me not trying to fix the communication, the grieving, or the timing. Of Of it, and in that we've learned a lot about each other and the way we both we both work, and I think that's made our marriage so much stronger than it was
3: eight years ago
1: i I completely believe that I think that that goes to um just about anything in your marriage right i mean if the yeah. the ability to communicate and tell each other what you're feeling, what you're thinking what you're um you know in typical man fashion, we tend to just push things down and, and grieve in our yep. in our own way away from everybody else, so nobody has to see you know tears come out or nobody has to see. And it's just no, I'll figure this out and, and get it done. Um, but the communication side of the house, and even if it's not grieving, even if it's um you know I, I you didn't like something that your wife did or <laughs> you know whatever. Like if you're not saying it out loud, then it's sticking somewhere. It's going to come out <laughs> somewhere at some time at some point in some way, yep. and you guys are going to get angry at each other or something's going to happen. So I mean I. Like communication is something I was absolutely horrible at for the first few years of my, my marriage, right? It was um, like, I had no idea how to communicate with people. I was a military guy for a long time. And I like my yeah. communication style was, was a knife hand and a, and a a loud voice, you know, and that was it. That was, that was what I knew yeah. how to do. And that's, you know, I, I was trained how to do it. And that's what I did. And yeah. I don't know if you know this, but giving your wife a knife hand is probably not the wisest <laughs> way to go about uh your day um but uh i i would i would venture to guess it was dreadful for my wife at the beginning without my ability to communicate so i'm glad that i learned before we had some of you know traumatic experiences in our in our in our marriage but um because learning during that process that would probably be why those 83 percent you know, they. Yeah. It, it, I would, I would venture to guess, and I mean, it, it, you let me know. Like you mentioned, you know, doing some research and learning how all this was done. So, um, outside looking in, um, I would venture to guess that's uh, two two things. And tell me if if um, I'm off base on this, based off what your understanding is. One, they probably didn't have um, uh, those eighty three percent. Probably didn't have a strong or similar uh, faith background because that yeah. that tends to hold people together a little bit more. And two, they likely had an inability to communicate prior um so if you don't have those two things to begin with right it, it i would venture to guess it's going to make any tragedy yeah. or th- anything that much harder um so throughout your and again i'm just making this up on the spot based off of my my understanding of relationships and um and all of that but um uh, you mentioned doing some research was there anything like learning how the, all of this happened learning about those 17 percent that did um survive you know you are now a part of that 17 percent. what did, like what did you find was the the any, yeah. was there any commonalities between those
2: well so i i didn't dig deep um okay. adam i'll tell you what our what our the secret to our success was one it was absolutely our faith
3: mm-hmm.
2: the common cornerstone that we had in belief in in god but two um we spent three years in, uh, of, our first re- of our relationship, three years long distance. I was in flight school when we met. I was going from Pensacola to North Carolina for flight training and then North Carolina to San Diego. And she was a school teacher out in Northern California. And all we had was the phone. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is pre Skype and, you know, before zoom and everything. So every night it was us sitting on the phone and every night when things would get awkward or you wish that you could just go, you know, do something else or walk away or all we had was the phone call and, and we just had to sit there and work through those verbal difficulties. -hmm. And doing that for three years, long distance, allowed us to talk about anything and everything under the sun. I mean, I I joke with people and tell you know people that ask about marriage. Oh, how was the first year? How was it moving in with each other? And I said, I I literally knew where she was going to keep her toothbrush the night we got married because we we talked about it. We (laughs) everything everything gets discussed over three years, Um, and that truly started again our foundation of communication Mm -hmm. so that when this huge thing hits it does take you off your it takes you out of your stance and and you have to change your posture a little bit but we already had that communication piece in our story. And so it was so much easier to, to say, let's start over. Let's go back to what we do know, mm-hmm. all these truths that we knew before we even had kids and all these things. Um, but you're right in the 17% communication is, is usually the underlying factor when, when couples are already al- allowed to or able to discuss especially hardships or financial difficulties or these things and they have to verbally communicate through them, they're usually more well-equipped for for these difficulties that lie ahead like a loss of a child.
1: Um, so how are you able to learn how to communicate better with your, with your wife? So for me, um, I joined the military at 18 years old right out of high school was already not very good at communicating in high school. I was very small. I was, um, you know, I was, I was a light bloomer in a lot of ways. Um, so I just wasn't confident in myself to be able to communicate very well. And then the military only taught me how to like, you know, yell at people. Like I said, you know, I was a, uh, um, I was a cop for, for quite a while in the military. So that was one of those, like you just yell at people all the time, type of things, very army, like out kind of air force, like, um, but uh, I, I would venture to guess for me, um, I would have, and i know I, I already told you i was terrible at the beginning communication wise at the beginning but um where did you get your skills to actually be able to communicate was it during that trial was it before that was it you know like how how did you kind of work through that to get to the point where you were able to do that with your wife at that point
2: well i i would like to say that you know god designed it where we got our communication through our long distance relationship and then through marriage we we waited four years after we were married to start trying to have kids. And so in that time we had seven years to communicate without Mm -hmm. kids running around and without the, you know, diversions that, that life provides us when sometimes when things get difficult and you can immediately turn your focus on something else. So you have to sit there and really work through um, difficulties, but we, we actually, when we were in D.C., I was, I was there for a year um, for a for mid-level uh, career course. And our pastors at our church that we were going to asked us to lead a small, uh, a small group, home small group for married couples, dating couples, and, and couples that were engaged. And we said, no. <laughs> we're, we said, no, we're, I don't think you understand. We've only been married for two years. We're, mm-hmm. we're not the right couple. And they said, no, 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 that's exactly why we want you to, to lead this course. And we hesitated and hesitated, and then finally we said yes. Well, the course was called Love and Respect. It's how women need love and men need respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, out of all the things that we need, women have this underlying desire to be loved by their husbands, and men need to be respected by their spouses. And we taught that course and it taught us so much about communication and this, what the the author calls the the crazy cycle, right? Where you get mad and you fight and you storm out the door and and it kind of just perpetuates itself where if you're able to stop that cycle and say, okay, what I said was this, but it came out different or I didn't intend for it to be that way. And let me show you how I truly love you. To my wife and she could say, this is how I respect you. And this is, you know, let's kind of hit, hit reset. I mean, that, that was a game changer for us. Um, love and respect. We, we had no idea what would lay down the road for us Mm -hmm. and how communication would be so vital to our relationship. And, and, but, but looking back, I would say that was something that helped us, um, come prepared.
1: That's uh, yeah, that's awesome. I so I've i just recently started a small group for my church and it's with couples and couples with kids and all stuff. So I'm definitely gonna have to look that one up to see if I should uh, start to look at that one for the next the next go around. But um, yeah, for I very similarly, my wife and I, um, uh, <laughs> while the wedding planning was happening, my wife was deployed to Iraq, I was going to college. And I'm the one doing all the wedding planning. We're doing lots of phone <laughs> calls, all the stuff. And it's just, just today, we were having a conversation about how <laughs> there was one point where I'm trying to have a conversation with my wife. Um, I could not hear anything she was saying. She's in Iraq. And I'm like, I, I cannot understand anything you're saying. And then there was a guy in the background that was trying to make a joke um, about, uh, about um, I don't even remember what the joke was about, but it was something, about, something to do with my wife um my, my fiance at that time yeah. and i heard him clear as day and i couldn't understand anything she was saying i was like i was so angry but i was like what in the world is got like you gotta be kidding me and she was like how did you even hear that and then of course that was the wrong response for me to want to hear well it doesn't yeah. matter how i heard it i heard it you know and now i'm like so yeah. now like the uh the ability for us to finally work through a lot of those issues helped much later on in, in, in our marriage right but yeah. again we we did the same thing we waited four years before we really started trying to have kids and then we we had our first kiddo after being married for four years and um uh it i i i, I mean sitting down with just the two of you um and i think that, i mean really i mean we've been married for 13 years so you've got us by two years but um i i i don't remember there being a ton of you know, thirteen years ago, there probably wasn't much. There wasn't a ton of the social media stuff. We may have had a MySpace, right? Uh, we probably yeah. had. I, I don't. I mean, I I would venture to guess I had Facebook by that by that point. But I mean, I don't, I don't even know, right? So there wasn't a lot that stopped us. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have any of that stuff. Yeah. So. You sat down, you watched a movie together. You sat down you had conversations. You actually sat at the yep. dinner table and you ate together yep. without without the TV on, with all the stuff. And um, like today is is so much more difficult to just sit there and have a conversation with your spouse. It is. Like it is. I don't understand I just like I, I, I tell people I I don't know how people have daughters in school right now, like that are teenage <laughs> daughters in school right now. Like it would I'm glad that my daughter's only five months old. I could not have a teenage daughter in school right now. I would go absolutely yeah. crazy. It's I mean, it's hard enough to have a teenage son, let alone teenage daughters going through what they're going through right now with, with everything. But yeah, man, oh man, like what kind of, um, what kind of things do you still do now that, that help you with your communication that you guys do you, or, or, or not do or, or things that you're trying to, to make sure that you're, you're keeping those knowledge, skills um, and ability sharp.
2: That's a great question. You know, we, we do commonly go back to, um, that love and respect book. And and we do find ourselves, and it's kind of, I don't want to say tongue in cheek, but because we do actually use it, but we will find ourselves go back and say, my wife's name is Ryan. I said, Ryan, I know what I just said sounded like this, but what I was trying to say is this. And then you have to follow it up with, will you please forgive me? Mm. Man, that's that's like the secret, right? That's the Cliff Notes version: is is admitting what you just said and saying you're sorry and, and genuinely meaning it. But we we do we do f- go back to that, and and we do joke about you know um, difficulties uh, because we we have to be, we have to remember where we came from and, and the things that challenged us. Cause there's going to be new challenges, but if we can't remember those small victories that we came through, then, um, it's, you know, it's, it, 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 it should be fun, right? This relationship mm-hmm. should be fun. And, and, um, I say, sorry a lot. Um, I say I'm an idiot a lot. And, um, we, we try to keep it pretty casual. um, another thing that i i did tell my wife very early on as i said hey um i said the beds the beds for two things uh and and talking's not one of them <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's get our discussions out before we go to bed um because i want to go to bed i want to i want to hold you tight i want to be in peace
3: mm-hmm. go
2: to bed you know not angry and we found ourselves early on in our marriage as soon as we would lay down she would want to talk and i would be out like that and it drove mm-hmm. me crazy how can you fall asleep i was right in the middle of a subject or, you know right in the middle of something, telling me telling me something but that's just the way i was i'm wired and so i said hey let's instead of going through this cycle doing this over mm-hmm. and over let's just i'll tell you hey i'm 30 minutes from going to bed And she knows that, like, that's okay. That's that's a good window for us to talk about something if we need to, and that saved a lot of um, heartache as well. But you know, when you're talking about Iraq and your wife being there, I I I too was helping my wife plan a wedding. I was in Iraq and she was Mm -hmm. um, in California. But I don't know if you remember way back in the day when we would call with those those phone cards, you know, they'd give uh-huh. us like the, the USO phone cards and you would type in the 20 digit number and then you would type in the phone number and you have to wait. Mm-hmm. And then there was like this eight second delay, right? It's the most awkward thing, you know, when you're trying to talk about what napkins to pick for your wedding. Of course. And you're like, Do you like the green ones or the purple ones? And then there's just a long silence, long silence. And they're like, do you like the – and then all of a sudden she responds back and it's like, you – you that, that actually taught me a lot because, right, why did God give us two ears and one mouth so we hear mm-hmm. more speak less? I would have to say what I want to say, sit there in silence and wait
3: mm-hmm.
2: and wait for that response. And then she would respond and, and then ask a question. And that taught us actually a lot about patience and just letting somebody finish. What they want to say before you jump in and have to yeah. either correct or administer guidance or something like that. So, I, I, <laughs> huge lessons that I didn't in, uh, really anticipate getting out of deployments and things like that. Yeah,
1: no kidding. Yeah, I uh, I, I think I've, I'm not. I don't think I'm thankful that I was not married or in a relationship during any of my deployments because I'm sure that would have been a a, a struggle session through those phone calls and all the stuff. And I was like, oh, golly. I, I remember one time, uh, completely tangent, but we were sitting in, so I was at a small fob in Baghdad and uh you know we we're sitting there on the internet typing things out to whoever you're chatting with or whatever you're researching or whatever you, whatever um and there's this guy next to me clearly talking to wh- who i would assume was his was his girlfriend or his wife but he had like this graphic novel and he was like typing word, like typing whatever he would read off there because he couldn't think of anything himself he's like just typing all of these things to his wife and sending them out and i was like what in the world so then he just sit there and wait and then he'd get a response back bling and he's like all right let me type something else out for this book and i was like oh <laughs> man I, <laughs> that's ridiculous but you know um yeah it was it was comical nonetheless but um yeah. but probably easier than dealing with the phone cards and all of the stuff because at least it was just you know it's the best but yeah
3: uh,
1: sorry tangent um but uh all right so now i'm going to um uh, change things up a little bit again and sure um and sure. go back to, uh, uh, back to the, one of the questions I, I really do like to ask. Now, one of the reasons I like to ask this question about people's fathers is um, I learned a lot about my dad much later in life. Um, there's a guy I listened to, uh, Patrick Beth david um, Yeah, uh, He got it from somebody else, and, I, and, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically like you go through three phases with your dad where you, you, uh, you idolize him, you vil- uh, vilify him, um, and then you... Uh, what's the other one? It's, it's not respect but then you learn to respect your father right like you, you like you idolize him as a as a much younger kid and then you get a little bit older and you're like oh my dad is terrible i like i can't believe it like you know he doesn't know anything and then finally you learn to understand who, who he actually is um and it wasn't until you know i was probably in my early 30s before i really understood who my dad was um, and where he came from. Um, so I would like to ask a little bit w- with that context, um, ask a little bit of, uh, about who your dad was and what it was like growing sure. up in your, in your family. Um, and wonder if, if you had any experiences like that, where you started to learn a little bit more about who he was that changed your perspective on him.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, my dad, my dad's done a lot for me. Um, he, when he got married, um, they quickly had my, my mother and he quickly had me. Um, and my mother went through postpartum and had some difficulties with the new lifestyle of having a child. Mm -hmm. My dad was the manager of the Tulsa airport and my mother was uh, a stewardess on American airlines. So you know, you think about the lifestyle back in the seven late, you know, mid seventies, late seventies. Very glamorous. Flying was still kind of in its golden era, and and you know that time where it was a you know high lifestyle and a lot of thrills. And so they're often doing a lot of fun and seemingly exciting things. Well, my mother didn't adopt uh, adapt to having a son very well, and so. A couple years later, they got divorced, and my dad won 100% full custody of me um, in the late early 80s, if if that tells you anything. She was abusive and um, negligent and neglectful. Um, And so, he had full custody of me for a couple years, and then he got remarried. Um, But in that process, obviously, I was too young then to know what I know now, but I realized um, he had resilience, resilience to take on a a son as a single father in the early eighties and, and try to raise me, you know, and he did the best he could. And and it was an awesome job actually. And I I spent, you know, for an early part of my uh, elementary years, I spent a lot of time over at friends' houses, spending the Mm -hmm. night with friends three nights a week, four nights a week. And I always thought that was the normal thing until I got to, you know, got until my dad got remarried and that stopped. Um, but he, he leaned on his community. He leaned on the families around us to help raise me. Mm-hmm. And, and so I truly respect some of those men that, that took on that opportunity as well and raised me kind of like their own to help my dad. Um, but he got remarried and has been remarried ever since. And I have a, a stepbrother and a stepsister. But early on, when when my father got married, he let me know, "Hey, this is your mother. This is who's going to help raise you. Um, you will call her mom. You will respect her." And that's how it was, you know. And it was a different time back then, where and I, I was in tulsa i live in in tulsa it's a very religious area buckle the bible belt right and at the time nobody liked to talk about things that they were going through so it was Mm -hmm. a very hidden relatively little spoken about event um this divorce And, and it's always been that way so while i think he did a phenomenal job raising me and giving me the principles that i have now and and the structure that i have now and and the ability to withstand different things that come up in life he he gave me all those things i'm i'm trying to take it a little bit different and i'm trying to just be a little bit more open with my kids one of the, my boys favorite times uh we we eat dinner together every meal uh, every night we eat dinner together there's no technology at the table and one of the favorite questions that my boys like to ask is dad and they pick an age dad tell us at eight when you were eight what's one thing you did right and one thing you did wrong or what's one thing you did good and one thing you did bad and we get to answer you know and, and sometimes you have to keep looping some of the stories because you can't remember all of them but
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, we try to just be open with each other and share and and they know that my mother and my father got divorced when I was little. They know those things. And we've talked through that. Not that I want to bring up old things, but I want to show them that life is a series of events and how you respond to those events and how you come out of them determine how you're going to be and and kind of set things in motion. So we talk. We talk about everything. Um, And so My dad, my my dad and my stepmom, they're they're missionaries now. They've been missionaries in Mongolia for the last twenty years, and they've been doing a phenomenal job. And um, they raised my brother and my sister, you know, very well. And I'm probably in that third stage now, where I've gone from the resentment to the revere and the respect, Mm -hmm. and um, really just appreciative for for the for the the notion and for the um I guess the desire that he had to raise me as best as he could when he could have walked away, he could have put me up for foster care he could have you know mm-hmm. done whatever and but no, he stuck with me um and raised me even when times were were
3: tough so yeah.
2: so
1: let's let's back up to any of the okay. resentment phase. What were the things that you did resent?
2: Um uh, one of the things that comes to mind first is my dad when he got out of the air, you know, running the airport, he mm-hmm. went into business for himself. And he his father was never at his basketball games or his mm-hmm. events. Um and my dad played basketball for Texas Tech. And he said he never made one game. So I'm going to be there for all your games. Um and and at first I appreciated that. But then as I started getting older and his business started adapting a little bit, I would look over in the sidelines when I'm playing soccer and see him on the computer or on the phone or talking to somebody else. And then he went from working in an office and he decided he wanted to work at home. And at first I thought that's great. And he would say, you know, I want to work at home because I want to be around the family, but I started to see when I would come home from work or come home from school. I'd say hi, walk by the office, change, walk back by, say hi, you know. And then at dinner time, my mom would say, okay, go up and tell dad it's time for dinner. So I would go up there, tell him it's time for dinner. We'd eat together and then he'd go back up and work. And so the frustration from all that is that I started to see the break between work and family time being blended together and it got very, very foggy right Mm. and very uh hard to distinguish the two and i just i said dad like i mean in 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 my mind i'd say dad if you're gonna come to a game why don't you watch the game why don't you watch me why don't you be present right and that's a big topic now is being present not just being there um and so that was that was a thing that definitely stood out And, and he'd always go back to well. Well, John, I'm, I'm always at your games. I, I go to every single one of them and I'd say, okay, yeah, that's true. And he was a scout master and he taught, you, you know, in our church, taught the Sunday school. And so he was there. He, he absolutely was there and he was absolutely being present. But as I got older, that, that line kind of shifted and blurred. Um, mm-hmm. So that was definitely something that I said, when I grow up and I start working, I'm, I'm not going to work from home because I want to leave, um, my work from my home. It's it's the same reason I never lived on base.
3: Mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah. I never
2: wanted to go from work and stay on base and live there, even though it's a great opportunity and phenomenal facilities. But I just I wanted that separation. When you drive out the gate, you leave everything back at work, and then when you come home, you kind of are able to, you know reinvent yourself for the night and Mm -hmm. and so yeah that that's definitely one of those things um i I think another one is is talking about hardships um my mother my my birth mother uh committed suicide when i was uh, a sophomore in college and she tried to reach out to me a couple times before it happened and my dad really kept me sheltered from my mom, even when I wanted to kind of rekindle that relationship. And so I missed some opportunities where I think she was truly reaching out for help and truly mm-hmm. reaching out to figure out who, who her son was, right? And how, how did he turn out? And, and he kind of kept me um, sheltered from that. In his mind, it was he was keeping me sheltered from potential heartache, but I wanted to experience that i wanted to see what my past you know the other half of my past and i didn't get to do that and and so i i missed out on that opportunity and and um so i i did harbor for a while a little bit of resentment for not being able to discover the other side of my of my life um but um i also wholeheartedly believe in romans 8:28 which says um, for those that believe all things happen for good. And I truly believe that everything in our life happens, whether we think it's good or not, it turns around and it ends up being for our benefit. Um, and so, I can look at each one of those things that I just described and say, I think they're all for good.
1: Yeah. yeah and ultimately, it's uh, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it's our good, in the end, it's going to be God's good, right? So, uh, Absolutely. Even if we don't see it on, on this side. Um, yeah, I, I think the first thing you, you mentioned, um, uh, it hits it it's a little bit harder at the, uh, especially when you look at today as you and I are sitting in a, in a home office, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, before we started recording this call, my son came in and we were chatting and all the stuff. Right. And I, I find that it's, it's a, I, I, I blur those lines rather often between work and yeah. fatherhood um yeah because i am here you know and there's a few few steps i i I look at with 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 your dad right like he he did what he thought was the best thing which was to at least be there which was something he never had um and then you know obviously you looked at it going yeah but you might as well not be here because you're really not here you know so now you're trying to to change to be present and um you know i i did my my dad wasn't at any of the games um i i i think i remember maybe maybe two there's one in particular i remember it was a wrestling match and i lost and i was very angry um and i went slamming into the uh um into the locker room and my dad was like it's all right you did good i was like no i did it and he had never seen me wrestle before so he didn't know if i was good or bad anything any difference <laughs> yeah. and I, of course i lost when he finally showed up um so it was like a, a thing for me that I was like, I want to be there for all of these things. And then you convicted the heck out of me because once in a while, I'm at a go- my son's golf matches are four hours long, I'm like walking around with him for four hours. So I pull my phone out once in a while, check a message, do some things. And I'm thinking to myself yeah, sure. now, it's like, sure, like, I like, don't, why am I doing that still? Right? So I'm trying to make it one more step, but that doesn't mean yeah. that I've got it where it needs to be. <clears> so <throat> what have you been doing that, that, that you're, you're finding you're saying, okay, I I don't want to do, because your dad had the same thought process, right? I don't want to do yeah. the things that I missed out on. And so now we're sitting here going, I don't want to do what I feel like I missed out on. So right. how, do, how do we find that balance of, of ensuring that we're not just running away from or running towards what we, we missed, but yet not giving them what they need? Like, how do we how, yeah. how have you found that balance? Or how would you recommend I find that balance of, of not only running towards what I felt like I missed, but also running towards what he actually needs, what they actually need?
2: Sure. Well, two things. One, I, I think it's interesting with your story, my story, and I think a lot of men's stories is that pendulum swings right really mm-hmm. wide um, the first time. Or, or, or when you say, I'm going to be a father, I'm never doing this thing. And then we kind of <laughs> bring ourselves back to yeah. um, more of a, of a balance. But what worked for me is something that my wife said uh, now six years ago. I I applied to fly the president and go to the Presidential Helicopter Squadron in in Quantico. And I said to her, I I had applied once before when we had no kids. It was kind of, in my mind, the perfect time. Mm -hmm. I didn't get accepted. So I applied again. Um, And now we had two boys. And things looked definitely different. And I was starting to see the end of my career. But I said to my wife, I said, you know, I th- I want I would think I want to apply for this and I, I want to try to get in. And she said, okay. I said, well, but there's 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 going to be some difficulties. I mean, I'm going to mm-hmm. be gone a lot. I'm going to be gone overseas. I'm going to be gone in the states, and it's it's completely random sometimes, and, and I can't ever dictate when I'm going to be home. I said, I think it's going to be taxing on our relationship and our our relationship with with the boys. And and she said to me, John, I know that it's going to be difficult, and I know you're going to be gone a lot, but if this is something that you want to do,
3: you need to pursue it, and I will be here for you. But when you're gone, you're gone, and when you come home, you're present. Mm -hmm. And it was like, It
2: right there made it black and white when I'm gone get the job done do what I have to do Of course, i'm going to call and of course i'm going to facetime and
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, do what I I have to do But when i'm gone think about being think about what's at hand But when I come home phone goes in the corner I engage with my kids i'm present I'm I have no excuse to, to be somewhere else because I've been gone for so long that this is my place of, of duty. And so that is it is harder now, you know, getting out of the military and yeah. being in this fluid place where you're trying to find something that works. We do find ourselves you know, like this, talking to our mm-hmm. kids sometimes. But I I constantly go back to that conversation and I, I'm like, okay, John, you're home. Be present. Put the phone away. Yeah. Do it. Because our kids aren't going to – I don't want my kid remembering me with the phone in front of my face, saying, Dad, some of our best conversations were with you talking you – know, I want them. I want to look them in the eyes. I want to get down on their level. I want to have mm-hmm. those wrestling matches and those late-night conversations. But you have to be present to get to the place where those things happen.
3: Yeah, that's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I, as you were saying that, I, th- I thought to myself, like, middle of the week – Uh, this is one blessing about uh homeschool is it doesn't matter where we sleep what we do we we pitched the tent in the backyard slept in the slept in the backyard we've been wanting to do this and i failed miserably as a father in that moment like i went in there and i thought to myself all right well i've still got this this appointment tomorrow that thing to do tomorrow this thing to do tomorrow okay i'm getting to bed and i like i lost such an opportunity to just sit in the backyard with my boys Yeah, have those conversations. Enjoy that time. Do that, like getting on their level. Like this is something they've been wanting to do forever. It just kept raining and raining and raining. I couldn't do it on a weekend. We finally had a night. It was going to be good. And I, I just completely whiffed on the swing. Like I completely missed the ball. And um, and then I wake up in the morning and I'm not happy. I've got like I didn't sleep well. I've got work to do. I've got all this stuff. And then I missed the ball again in the morning. And I was like, like. At, like, no matter how much I talk to other people and I try to fix these things, like I still am missing, missing some yeah. of this stuff. So I mean, it's, it's constant work. Um, so yeah. oh, sure. what have you... Well, like- uh,
2: le- let me say though, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't say this. And three, four months ago, we had a, a real estate deal that we were working on very heavily, spending a lot of time on. And I went in to uh, lay, to tuck my boys in for bed and lay with them for a few minutes. And my youngest son Hudson said, "Dad, um, could could mom just lay with me instead of you?" And I I kind of looked at him and I looked back at my wife and I said, "Why, Hudson? Why would you say something like that?" Well, I'm. It's my turn. And he goes, "Well, because you're, you're always on your phone. When I'm mm-hmm. when I when he's laying in bed, I'm on my phone. Yeah. And I like talk about like mm-hmm. stab right right through the heart." But I was breaking my own rule. I mean, I was, I was not being present when I had the ability to be present and just lay there and hug him and pray over him and, and talk to him as he goes to sleep. And he said, no, you're always on your phone. So I I have to find those things. And I've told the boys, my wife and I both have told us, told our boys, call us out. if yeah. If you ever see us not looking at you when you're talking to us, like we demand they do for us. Mm -hmm. Call us out. Say, dad, put away your phone. I mean, hearing a seven-year-old say, dad, put away your phone and listen to me is like, that helps. That helps make your mission
1: really clear.
3: Man, I'm definitely writing that one down.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for my four-year-old to do that to me. Like, I mean, it, yeah. it's funny because the four-year-old will almost do it without, without being told they have to, right. Cause they'll just grab the phone and pull it out of your hand and try to talk to you yeah. because they're, they're just like, wow, it's just a barrier. Like, and literally for a four-year-old, it's a physical barrier. Like they literally can't see through the phone. That's right in front of my face. So it's, it's very easy for them to just go, Hey, get that out of the way, dad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, and it's, it's funny because as, as you say that, what you're telling me is you're not perfect. Okay. Well, that's that's good exactly. to hear. You know? <laughs> and exactly. I, I try to tell it to my son all the time. I was like, okay. I, I think it was yesterday. I was like, all right, bud. Because he is a lot like his mother and I, where we want to be perfect with everything. Like, everything, like everything's got its place. Um, yeah. I, I need to, like if you're, if you're giving me a mission, if you're giving me a task, I need to do it. I need to do it well. Um, so if he's missing something, I was like, hey, bud, are hurt? Are you Jesus? Because he's the only perfect one I know of that has ever walked this land. And I don't think you're it. You know, it's the same thing I tell my wife. I said, I don't think you're Jesus with a skirt. So we, you know, we might not, uh, might want to figure this out, you know, as I throw my pen on the ground. But, um, uh, but no, it's, it's, for me, it's always, I tell the boys, 1% better every day. So that's something I need to always remind myself of as well. Like, if I can get 1% better every day, I'm going to be a much better, much better father, a much better husband, um, a much better Christian. Like, it it's it, it's a never ending process of of growth um absolutely but uh so i wanna go back again to uh to your dad right so how did he go from uh from managing a airport to being a missionary in mongolia that <laughs> yeah it's a problem me. is a tough one to figure <laughs> out yeah
2: it's it it does baffle me a little bit too but they um he he once he left the airport he He had a stint of probably 15 years where he was an entrepreneur. He started a Mm -hmm. natural gas company and sold it and then started another natural gas company and was involved in a lot of entrepreneurial things, right? He was probably in his second act trying to figure out, okay, if the airport is no longer a thing, who else am I? What else can I do? And so really exploring that. And you know, after a series of doing some of those entrepreneurial roles, he and my my mother um, took a trip to Mongolia, and it was a two week trip, missionary trip. They'd done a missionary. Sh- they they'd done a couple other trips before to Africa and you know other places, Philippines. Um, and they went on this trip, and they came back and said, uh, "I think we need to go back." And so they kind of tabled the idea for a few months, and then they decided we're going to go back for two years um and lived there for two years and that was ironically just the. it was about the same time that i told them i was joining the marine corps (laughs) and they felt like that came out of left field um so i tell people i hit them up with something that was crazy off off radar and then they Mm -hmm. had to one-up me but they went out for two years and i remember them calling me and saying you know we've been here for two years. It's time for us to come home, but we don't feel like we're supposed to. We feel like we need to renew our our contract and go back for another two years. My mom was a, a, a veterinarian, so she was with a veterinarian organization out there. My dad was helping grow businesses. Um, and they said, we feel like we need to go back. And they've been doing that now uh, 10 times in a row, and they've been out there for 20 years. So wow. um, it's it's very different. And it's it's really hard to understand too. When when I went to the, you know left college and went to the Marine Corps, and they left and went to Mongolia, it's weird going back home for the first time when no one's mm-hmm. home. You know, going back to your hometown and be like, well, I guess I'm going to hang out with my friends now. Um, that's a really weird feeling. But um, they, uh, I know they wouldn't do it again. Do it any different
3: mm-hmm. again.
1: Um, I, I mean, I suppose for them, it was perfect timing, though, too, because you were leaving for yeah. the Marines. Like, it didn't yeah. really, you know.
2: And they, they're, they they're took free. my brother and sister over there. And my brother was, um, he was a sophomore mm-hmm. in high school. And my, oh, wow. my sister was a couple years behind him. So, very formative years in their time, their life as well. Yeah. Um, but they went with them. And then when they graduated from high school, they both came back over to the States and, you know, started going to college. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just different, right? It's not right or wrong, it's just different.
3: Mm-hmm. Um but they they've loved it. That's that's awesome.
1: Um so you uh you obviously retired from the Marine Corps. Um uh well, before we hit the retirement part, I got to ask you like the, the the travel running around with the president. So when did you start yeah. um on Marine 1 and when did you stop flying Marine 1? Yeah, so
2: um I went to the squadron in 2017. So it was uh president Trump's first year as president. And, um, I was there for five years. So essentially got to fly, uh, with the Marine one or with uh, president Trump, uh, for four years. Um, and then the last year was a Marine one for president Biden and, uh, left in the summer of 22. So just last year and retired October. And then, um, yeah, so I've been out of it for almost a year now.
1: Awesome. So um yeah. obviously with all that travel and everything, you know, your your wife was obviously super supportive in, you know, yeah. um, you know, that she'd be there with for you. Um how did the I know that it wasn't perfect because we just, we just established that neither one of us are perfect, so at least we can get, get over that part. But um, how were you able to, to kind of pull that aside? Because, I mean, those are kind of demanding positions in, in a lot of different yeah. ways, right? In some ways, it's just quick phone calls like you, you've got to be here right now. Um, so how were you able to kind of balance that when you were home? Um, and I usually say like balance is a complete misnomer when you're talking about trying to balance quote unquote work from, from family. Um, especially when you're in a job like that. So, um, what were some of the things that you did that you kind of, to make sure that you were as present as possible with the kids, even though like you can't fully put that phone away because you know, you're, you're on standby pretty much all the time. I would guess.
2: Yeah. The first three years were, were. Easier, right? To have that delineation because the first three years you're training, you're getting used to the aircraft, you're getting used mm-hmm. to the mission, and your demand isn't as big. But as you become senior in the squadron, you you find yourself either as a Marine One and uh, a, a key billet holder, uh, which is what my fourth year I found myself doing. But the first three years very easy to kind of know when you're going on a trip or going overseas or or and it's it's while it's not regular, it's it's kind of scripted. So you know three days out, you're leaving, you know, for a trip. And I just tried to abide by my wife's rule, mm-hmm. you know, and her guidance of, hey, be present when you're here. That fourth year is where those lines started getting real foggy and gray. And I took over as the operations officer for the squadron. And I was a Marine One pilot. So I was one of the six or seven guys that was dedicated to flying the president and I was responsible for getting the getting the schedule out on a daily basis and getting our mission kind of codified to give to the to the commanding officer and I'll tell you the demand was legit and I felt like I was very successful at work I was doing this high profile job as a marine one pilot and I was a staple in the squadron I felt like a failure at home mm. because I had two phones and they both sat right next to me all the time. And I was all constantly at dinner, pulling it out of my pocket, looking real quick, walking out of the room, looking at my phone real quick, always typing an email, typing a text. Type. And I would tell my wife, like, you know, it'd go three weeks and I didn't put the phone down. Election season. Like, it was crazy. Mm. I was yeah. always on my phone. And I had to tell her, like, babe, I am so sorry. I feel like I'm failing at home. And she had grace. And she had mm. patience. And she said, you know what? I I understand the demand is a little different. I understand you can't have that delineation like you want to. But she had grace. And she gave me that room. Um, and And that was really... The difference maker for me was was having somebody that understood had a demand had a had a desire for me to to really separate the two, but also said, "You know what I know that's not possible right now, so just do things the best as you can
3: mm-hmm.
1: so society right now is is telling us a lot of crazy things um, about <laughs> yeah, any any number of things but what I've pulled out multiple times throughout this conversation and throughout my marriage. Um, and I've, I've heard it through a few different ways. It's like the number one choice you make in your life is who you marry. Right. That like, it makes like, once you're an adult, like that choice right there can make or break yep. where you go in your life. Um, and yep. it sounds like uh, it just, as with me, it sounds like you, you did a, a great job finding a woman who is supportive, who takes care yep. of, uh, Takes care of you is the wrong way of saying it, but like in in that sense, takes care of you, right, and make sure that that you you feel supported and loved. Um, uh, How how would you say you know without without repeating what we've talked about with the communication side of the house? um, Telling folks who are looking at getting married, or you know how how would you say like this is how important it is to find the right spouse, and how would you advise folks going about finding that spouse? I mean, obviously, this is a podcast about dads, but at the same point, you, it's, my view is, before you become a dad, you should probably become a husband. It's probably yeah. the wisest way to do that. Call me crazy, call me old-fashioned, become a husband yeah. first, then become a dad. But go ahead, Sorry.
3: Yeah.
2: Man, uh, I, I definitely don't know um, the secret. Um, I was blessed to have a lot of things work into my marriage. And uh probably too long to get into t- right now, but I realized the that God's hand was on my life and the life of my future spouse and I know that because when when I was in third grade, my wife came to the same school that I was in in Oklahoma through uh her mother getting divorced and moving out of state away from the situation, but her mother didn't have the financial ability to keep her in school for it was a private uh, Christian school. Didn't have the finances to, to keep her into school. Well, that year, the school board was running a pilot program to sponsor a family to allow them to um, go to school for free. The board was tied, ty- tied, and torn between they had two spots, giving those two spots to two different families with two different kids, or one family with two kids. Well, mm-hmm. my wife has a sister, and they were both about to get yanked out of school because of tuition. The senior board member was the tie breaking vote that determined if my now wife got that scholarship or got that sponsorship. And the senior member voted, I think it should be this family with two girls, two small girls. Wow. 16 years later, I introduced my spouse, my, my fiance to my dad. And my dad was weeping. <laughs> and he told us this whole story. And he said, When you were in third, when I was in third grade and my wife was going to school, there that he was the senior member of the board that picked that, that family should get the scholarship wow so you you take something like that a story like that and you say holy cow god is in that i can mm-hmm. never let that thing go yeah. there's so much value there i mean it, but that story aside my brother asked me one time hey i how did you find your wife like she's amazing i want to find a girl just like you and i asked him where are you looking mm. And at the time he was you know newly out of college he was living in la and he was in the party scene and he's like well I'm, I'm always at the clubs and i'm all you know bars and always finding girls and bringing them back home and i was like
3: if you want a girl like the wife that i have you're not going to find her there yeah so
2: First of all, to, it's it's important to figure out where you're gonna where you're gonna look, right? Where is that pool of people that you're gonna choose from? If it's at a if it's at a church, like it was for me, don't look in the club. Yeah. If it's at the club, don't look in the church.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. It, second, iron sharpens iron. People grow stronger and better together when when there's that ability to to grind things out and. But also be very similar. Yeah. If if you are, for me, I dated a girl that was Catholic, and I was Christian, and my faith is very important to me. But I told my mom, "Oh, I think you know, I think we'll work it out." She's like, ah, "It's close I don't enough." Think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's close. It's close. It's yeah. close enough. Um my my mom was spot on. It, it wouldn't yeah. have worked out.
3: Yeah.
2: And go after what you want. And, and somebody once told me, write down all the things yes. that you want in a spouse and trust God that he'll provide. And and there's big debates over there. Is there one person or is there a, mm-hmm. a collection of people? Like, I don't want to get into that argument, but I'm going to say that I wrote down those things on my list and, and every one of them were met. Every one of them. And it wasn't a super long, you know, 72 item list. It was, you know, 10 or 12 items, but hundred percent and and so that opportunity came when i got so frustrated with what i was trying to find and who i was trying to mm. figure out was the right one and i said i'm done i had gotten cheated on i was in flight school i said i'm done god i, I don't want to do this anymore you're gonna have to provide somebody yeah and two weeks later i met my now wife of 15 years um so, a lot of rambling in there, in there uh, but I want to. I think the biggest one is where are you looking and yeah. what do you want? Because if you start to give up on those things that you truly want, that you think will truly make you happy, then that's changing the course of potentially your future.
3: Mm hmm.
1: That's what I, like part of that. I felt like you were telling my story, um, which is <laughs> which is comical, right? Because that's the same thing. Like I, I was looking in the church for a while, and by looking, I—that's I, uh, a uh, probably a little bit <clears throat> more active of a yeah. word than I I should be using, right? Um, I was uh scoping out the church for girls right yeah. uh and hoping that i would find one and then finally i was like oh, whatever and i i found found one that was not in the church which was a horrendous idea like and and that's where i i did the same thing and was like i guess like i'm done i can't i can't i don't know where i'm gonna find my wife but this 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 can't be the way to do it but going through that yeah. checklist that's something that i would like we do this for our businesses right like what, what are the, what are the things we need for our businesses to make them run? What are the things yeah, we need sure. to make sure that our, our things are going? And then, but we don't look at it in our personal life. We don't look at it in our, with our kids. We don't look at it with, you know, whatever. But I mean, um, we, we implemented EOS in, in one of our companies, um, with in, in ADPI. And it was like a, um, it, when you do, look at it, your core values, right? There were certain things they said that this is pay to play. Like you can't even be a part of the company unless you do these things. And then these are our core yeah. values, right? This is where we're going to hire and fire. Um, uh, so if it, it, there's got to be a list that you look at for your spouse, there's gotta be a list that you look at and and I'm guilty of not doing this extremely well as a, w- with the family, but these are the things that we have to do as a family. These are the things I have to look for in my spouse. Um, and uh, I remember the, the, one day I was telling my mom, which I almost never told my mom about any of my girlfriends. I was always, you know, Embarrassed to talk about that sort of thing, like she never you never felt like didn't that door was open. Right? It, it was. It was like, like I never felt like, and this is another thing that I, I talked to my wife about. Like I never felt like the door was open to talk about it because everything okay. was so taboo, right? Um. So, uh, uh, so it, you know, I just never did, and then finally, I was like, I think I'm gonna marry this one. And my mom, what does she tell me? Oh, well, you better pray that if, you know, that, uh, that it's, she's the right one that she lasted, if not, that she's gone. And I was yeah. like, really, this, this is the conversation you want to have with me. I finally tell you, and you tell me to marry, Are you tell me to pray that she leaves. Like, <laughs> you know, I think but, your uh, mom was my mom. Oh, <laughs> uh, see? Yeah. We, like we, like it was ridiculous. So, so I did, yeah. I had followed my mom's instructions and I prayed. And the next morning I was like, yep, I'm totally going to marry her. Like I just knew like it was, it was going to happen. And sure enough, yeah. I did, you know, but, uh, um, I cannot express enough how important what you said was. Is like make that list. Understand who it is that you're you're marrying, right? If you're, it, it's no wonder that divorce is so high when you look at where we're finding Absolutely. our spouses and and what society is telling us is okay. I mean, there's recently there was I don't remember who she was. I honestly I think she was a porn star that was like putting out this thing. Oh my, you know, like if you're not happy with who you're married to, it's not like marriage is like this big thing. Just get rid of them. Like yeah. if they're not, and it's like well it's It's a big thing if you let it be a big thing because it is a big thing, but if you tell yourself it's nothing and it's like yeah. that old pair of shoes that the second there's a hole in it, you can just throw it in the garbage, then yeah. that's what you'll do you'll yeah. That's what you'll look at your marriage as, like but no, it's it's a sacred thing that you should be yeah. focused on that you are going to have hard times in. There's going to end up being a hole in that pair of shoes, but it doesn't mean you can't fix the hole. It doesn't mean you can't still like make it work like that's why you got married and if you have the right values up front and you have those right thought processes working together and that communication that we talked about and um, I, I still again as a christian think that like that alignment is extremely important and you know like talk through those things work on it yeah. make sure that it's going the right way don't like society's going to tell you any number of things and at the <laughs> if society's telling you it's right it's probably not let's let's probably go the opposite direction uh, that's true yeah but uh, so business-wise, I want to uh, yeah. pivot over there a tiny bit. Um, I like to kind of chat a little bit about the, uh, the family side of business and the business side of family and where, where, uh, where you might be involving, especially now that you have a little bit more opportunity to be right there with the kids or you did not before. Like, do, sure. you have, do you already have plans in place or are you already doing anything to involve the kids in, in your various different business ventures, whether it's real estate or talking to them about the coaching that you do or anything like that?
2: Yeah, Um, I do. I I try to be again transparent and and talk to them. If they've got a question, I try to answer it as honestly as possible. And and I try to encourage questions. You know, I'll say, "Hey, boys," you know, they'll they'll ask me on the way to school, "What are you doing today, Dad?" Because in their mind, I just sit at home and you know talk to my friends on Zoom. Uh You know, Um, but I I'll, I'll say, "Well." today dad's got three coaching clients oh okay well what what is coaching exactly because they've got a coach mm-hmm. right and and i'm a i'm a coach on one of my son's soccer teams um but they don't the that coaching idea doesn't yeah. always sit well with them or sit right with them so i explain well so-and-so is is making these big business decisions, and I'm trying to help them out with kind of a mindset I, and and walking them through what I actually do as an executive coach or success coach or life coach or whatever mm-hmm. the term is, and how I try to champion those people that I'm in front of. And they'll say, well, dad, what what about your real estate? Are you still doing that? Yeah, of course I am. But unfortunately, the project I just spent eight months on and Talked about a lot of the dinner table, it fell through uh, because of interest rates or because we didn't have the right investors. Or, and I, I try to talk through those hardships. Um, and so they're getting a better idea of what I spend my time doing. They are, are kind of wrapping their heads. Okay, dad used to go do this thing where he wore a uniform and got in this mm-hmm. helicopter and flew this thing. And it was very you know, defined. Who I was, and now it's uh, well, Dad. You're going to have coffee with somebody. Like, why are you having just coffee with them? Uh, why are you not going to work? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. today work looks like this. It looks like a coffee with you know a potential investor or a potential coaching client or you know whoever. So I try to have those conversations a lot, and then ask them to provide me feedback. What what did you not understand about? what I just told you or what questions do you have or do you, would you be interested in doing something like something like this when you got older? So trying to open the aperture for them mm-hmm. in ways that I never, you know, had open for me when I was seven years old, I wanted to be an astronaut and a basketball player and fly airplanes. You know, uh, it was very, you know, I had one of eight options, you know, firefighter. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's too hot. And, you know, <laughs> whatever so i just try to involve them and try to keep the conversation flowing so that they better understand what i'm working for and Mm -hmm. where this energy is coming from where it's going to and why what's my why what's my purpose what's you know what am i doing this all for
1: awesome the do you do you have any conversation with them about what uh um, i don't know it's probably not on this level but what their why is on what they're doing in their life obviously i think they're what 11 and 7 you said so yeah um you know I, it, their, their why is a little bit different right now than anything else but like to me why is it like a i tell them to ask why all the time because i think it's an extremely important question to ask yeah. all the time um and like I think a, a couple of podcasts ago, I mentioned to somebody I said that's probably one of the reasons why it was time for me to leave the military because I ask why way too much and they don't really like that usually. Like nope. they don't, they don't like to answer the question why um, because I said so is usually the answer or because the Reich says you know. But uh, um, but yeah, do you do you talk through um, or do you have them work through their own whys as far as what they're doing and that type of stuff?
2: I I I do, uh, Adam. It's pretty comical at times how short focused. Right, That mm-hmm. they can be, you know, hey, Lincoln, what's your why? Why are you, Why do you know why we tell you to do really good at school and make good grades? You know, and, and a lot of times it's no, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. My oldest is like, no, you tell me, <laughs> tell me what it is. And my youngest is dialed, he's dialed in and he mm-hmm. kind of knows those things. But I will ask that question and then try to help provide context. Because I think when you and I were growing up, it was go to school, get good grades so you can go to more school and get more mm-hmm. grades so you can get a job and make a lot of money in the story, period. And don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex without, <laughs> you know, w- without being married, right? Those, yeah. were the, those were the rules that we lived by. And for, for that time, it worked, right? My dad told me at 13 years old. Don't get a tattoo and don't get a girl pregnant. If you do either one of those things, I'm kicking you out of the house and you can figure out how to make your own way. And it worked because I didn't get a girl pregnant until she was my wife and I got a tattoo after my first deployment.
1: Uh,
2: uh, but now the kids are so much more inclined to, to ask those deeper questions. Mm-hmm. We are on the hook to provide the answers because if we can't provide the answers, someone else will. And it may not be the what we want them to hear, mm. or it may yeah. be too soon, right that their minds aren't aren't bold aren't, aren't developed enough to contain the information that they're receiving, so it's our duty to give them the information that they need in the right doses at the right times
1: yeah it's uh i I, I used to tell people all the time um, when it came to uh this was in when it came to like divorce and stuff like that it's like you're going to impact your kid whether you're in the house or not right you're the dad you're going to impact your child do you want to impact your child while you're yep. in the house or do you want to impact by their way and there's far too many dads that that they're in the house and they still don't make the impact and don't have those conversations and don't like do those things and yeah. your kid's going to go find the answers they're gonna yeah. you know um i used to work a lot of uh um, a lot of uh, child crimes uh, crimes against children type of stuff and um, that was one of the things that uh, it was almost always a factor where was dad right there was almost if, if dad wasn't there you could almost guarantee that there wasn't a present father around uh, around the victim um, because if there was if there was a present active father those conversations were had and those things were going on and, and like that it, they had that dad to be able to, to interact with. And I'm not saying that it, that's always the case. Um, uh, but rather often, you could do the same thing with looking at a lot of, you know, let's say school shootings, right? Yep. You can almost guarantee the dad wasn't around in almost every one of them. Like you can make that assumption and I would say 99% of the time you're going to be right. Dad may sure. have been in the house, but they weren't around. So there's a difference between uh, this goes right back to there's a difference between showing up to my, my sports game and being president at my sports game. There's yeah. a difference between living in the house and being my dad while in the house. Um, nice. and I like foot stomping that to me is, is unbelievably important because it, I saw way too much of it in my previous jobs. Um, how South it can go like really far South. It can go right down to whether, you know, you, you find, you find a, a child victim or you find, um, even a twenty-two-year-old kid that decided that you know he had no he had nowhere else to go he had nothing else to do his dad was gone or his dad wasn't present his mom wasn't present and then they sure. felt like it was the end of their life there was no need to be around and it's like what yeah. like we have to be that present you know and you've you've hit on all of these things throughout this conversation and what a, like the fact that you're able to talk about a lot of stuff you know you know your, your your birth mother you know committing suicide and like she was reaching out for somebody for help you know yeah. and and the the presence wasn't there granted that wasn't a father figure that that we're hitting on here but just be there be aware of where you're, where you're yeah. at and the people you're communicating with and i don't know yeah. where exactly i'm going with this but man it just i i just felt like i had to <laughs> I had good. to say some of that because it's yeah i it, it far too often i've seen a lot of that stuff go south and talking to a father like you that is doing what he can to be as present as possible and have those conversations whether it's you know I think that having the conver- those types of conversations lead to the future conversations that are very difficult. They make them that much easier. Um, yes, yeah. I'll, I'll pause for commentary from you because I, I, I'll, I'll ramble a lot. So
2: no, I, you're absolutely right. It's the time now, right? When you talk about the the stages, right? Of our boys, mm-hmm. you know, idolizing us, fighting against us, and then revering us later on in future, respecting us. If if we've done it right in that first stage. Hopefully that second stage is much yeah. smaller. Yes. And it's much more comfortable to to talk about. And I've told my le- my my 11-year-old I've said listen there's going to be a time where you think I'm I'm wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. But experience is on my side and I'm just trying to give you a shorter path to success than I had. And having those conversations, I think does that to where hopefully they get to that other style, that other stage much faster. And I've got friends that are still angry with their dads, but I've Mm -hmm. got a lot of friends that are, I mean, their dad's their best friend and they go fishing and boating and do all these things with them. And it's really cool to see that and to tap into those guys and say like, how did you, how are you guys best friends now? You know, what, what do you do different? And I find Going back to our conversation on communication, that's what it was. It was being it was being truthful and it was being integral and it was being open. You know, when we're able to communicate hardships, but we're also able to communicate successes and victories with our kids, that they see that, that's genuine to them. But if we're only just saying, Well, well, I'm only going to tell you about the things that I did right, Mm. it's going to leave a big gaping hole for them to wonder what did, did what did dad do wrong because yeah. you may be able to fool them for a while but eventually they're going to figure it out and when they yeah, figure I it out you don't you don't want it to be oh dad was a liar mm-hmm. he told me all this stuff and but he did all this other stuff like i don't trust him now
1: yeah yeah i i think that uh oh my daughter just showed up
3: hi come here
1: um uh
3: I'm losing track of what I was going to say now, but we're gonna have we're gonna have Diana come and say hello. Come here, little lady. She's reaching for me. Give her to me. Uh, so this is my little five month
1: old. Ah, what's up? Say hi. Amazing. Oh yeah, eat that microphone. Yeah, every get time after it. Every time she just eats that microphone up. I don't know what it sounds <laughs> like on your side when she does that, but but yeah. You know, for those who like are not, not watching.
3: <laughs> yeah, well I would imagine not. Uh, well hi. Hi. Yeah.
1: My little precious little girl. Huh yeah, She's you're so excited. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. She is. You let her you let her could, keep going, you're not gonna be able to do this podcast much longer. I know, but I <laughs> just gotta short the microphone out on me. Oh man. But uh I don't even remember what I was saying now. Completely got distracted by my little lady right. coming in. But Yeah. No. Um where oh uh Oh, you were talking about being a, being a liar. Um, uh, you know, your kid looking at you as a liar. Hey, let me talk, little lady. Uh, so the here, let me hand her back. Oh, I love you. Thank you. Um, again, one of the blessings of being able to work from home is I get That's visitors awesome. visiting from uh, my kiddos. Yeah. Um But uh, the 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 way that our kids look at us in one way, shape, or form you know, if, if all we do is, is push out those successes and this is something that I needed to be, this is where I was going, something that I really need to be aware of. I'm glad that I was able to work, work that through my brain to finally come up (laughs) with what I was going to say. My son, as, as a lot of sons do want to mimic what I do, like want to do the things that I do and all this stuff. Right. So if I'm only talking about my successes that with my oldest, especially, and I haven't seen it yet with my, uh, my youngest boy, but my oldest boy, especially he will if all I ever talk about was those successes, then he's going to think that he is failing miserably because he has sure. failures and we sure. all have failures. So if we're not representing that failure, if we're not showing that these things happen, um, yes. and that's, that's something that I used to ask him all the time. And we've, we've kind of dropped the ball a little bit on asking him more recently. Like, what did you fail at today? Cause I want to, I want you to fail at things. If you're yeah. not failing at things, you're not trying hard, right? You're not, you're not pushing yourself. Yeah. Um, so I want you to fail at things. But I want you to see what I fail at. Um, and so i think it's extremely important to to have those those conversations about what you know what you wow. did wrong and what you failed
3: at and absolutely my you
2: know, my son my youngest the other day i said if you do x i think it was if you eat all your lunch you'll get a cookie after school and you know whatever right so i set the parameters and then Something shifted in his mind. He thought he did what was expected, and I didn't give him the reward that he Mm -hmm. thought he deserved. In my mind, it was very clear, and I can't remember the the whole story, but he said, Dad, you're a liar. And I stopped him, and I said, Hudson, let's let's build one truth right now. I will never lie to you. Mm -hmm. I said, I will always tell you the truth. It may not be what you want to hear or how you want to hear it but i always tell you the truth i said when if i lie to you then you can you have the right to call me a liar but on this this instance you don't get to call me a liar cuz i i've worked really hard to never lie to you to never tell you something that's untruthful so when that occur uh, if that ever occurs you can call me out but this isn't it and and it really shaped how he spoke to me afterwards. And he actually came up in his seven-year-old heart and said, dad, I'm sorry. I called you a liar. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're a great dad, but it, I wanted to make sure uh, my wife, my sons that they know I'm never going to lie to them. But if I did, they have full authority to call me out on it. And, and holding ourselves accountable, I think is incredibly important.
1: I about, uh, Uh, An odd polarizing question for you about being a liar. Um, That is, uh, it's more of a softer, funnier type of side. What are your thoughts on uh, Santa Claus?
2: (laughs) Well, my kids already, uh, they've known. (laughs) I told my kids from the first time they asked, this is Santa Claus real. I was like, I won't answer this question just yet, but go look at our chimney. Mm Mm-hmm watch what you see on TV about Santa Claus. Do you think he's real? And they're like, no, he could never fit down the chimney. Uh, and then we immediately moved, uh, ironically, to, to a house that had no chimney. And they said, Dad, when are you going to put the presents in front of the tree? And I said, oh, what do you mean? Santa's coming. And they're like, Dad, we have no chimney. He can't come unless he comes through the front door. So they've, they've known for a long time that Santa wasn't real. And I'm okay. sorry for all those dads that have been telling their kids that Santa's real.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in the in the camp of not telling my kids that Santa's real ever like I, I'll still put though on the presents like uh, from Santa on some yeah, of the presents of because it's fun and I might as well play with it. Right. Um, yeah, because to me, there's a difference between pretend and playing pretend sure. with my kids and lying to my kids. And I, I, I have always felt that like that was like the, the starting point of lying to my kids. Or, yeah. or the starting point of them thinking of me as a liar, like when they finally realize there is no Santa, and I've been telling them for years that there is. Now, like, what else has Dad been telling me that is not true? You know, sure. And uh, so that's well, that's where I've kind of got stuck.
2: Yeah, and and I think there's there's got to be some room for self discovery. Yeah, right? my my seven year old just lost. He's got like half a mouthful of teeth, half of them fallen out, and. I have never, I've said, Oh yeah, the tooth fairy's coming to provide you, you know, money for your teeth. And it was a couple of weeks ago where I'm reaching under his pillow to grab the tooth and put in a dollar. And he looks at me and he's like, you're not the tooth fairy. I said, well, I, I am, you know, and, and now he jokes about it and he'll say, I can't believe I thought the tooth fairy was real. And, um, So to answer your question, I did tell them there's a tooth fairy. So am I lying or am I in that realm of make-believe and letting kids be kids? I think there is a a place where you let kids be, you know, explore, right? And figure Mm -hmm. it out. And eventually, yeah, the tooth fairy and Easter bunny and and Santa Claus and all those things are going to wash out, whether that's a lie or not. I I don't think that's... uh, my my place to choose <laughs>
1: yeah well that's why i told you i'm going on a weird 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 <laughs> direction on that one but you know the tooth fairy i still even even with my kids losing teeth um boy of course my dog is on in the bark right now the I mean, back. i don't know if you can hear him but i would venture to yeah. guess you can um uh my uh my son uh my oldest the only one who's lost teeth yet my my youngest hasn't but um yeah uh i would i goodness gracious dog goodness i don't know if we pulled out the vacuum or what but he is (laughs) not happy whatever is going on out there Uh, so we uh, here's to add more craziness in case an eight-year-old boy a four-year-old boy and a five-month-old girl is not enough we got now a 10-week-old puppy running around the house so perfect um it's wise wise move adam yeah um and it's a Belgian malinois so he's like crazy and you know (laughs) loving life but but uh uh, but yeah, the, I still to this day will will joke with Adam about the tooth fairy, and he's like, "Come on, like there there's sometimes where he gets like almost upset. I know it's not Ted, Just tell me that he's that the tooth fairy's not real. We know the tooth fairy's not real. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm like, no, the tooth fairy's totally going to bring you this money, bring you this money. <laughs> and that like one day we forgot to put the money underneath there, and uh, he was like, Dad, and I was like, Dude, you didn't believe in the tooth fairy, so the tooth fairy didn't bring you the stuff. Like I don't know what to tell you. Like you know, so uh, so we, we joked <laughs> around about on it you. And my four-year-old, um, we, we call them uh, twin cousins, cousin twins, because they, they were in the same grade. Um, my four-year-old and my, my niece, um, they went to the same school. They were in the same grade. Like they, they are like two peas in a pod. And he was riding home. And he was like, well, I mean, it's something about Santa not being real. And they believe in Santa. You know, their their kids believe in Santa still. And, uh, and she's like, Santa is real. And then my, my uh, sister-in-law's like, yeah, Rourke, in this car, Santa is real. And I've tried to tell him, like, don't tell anybody else. Like, it's not your role to correct anybody if they think Santa's real. It's no big deal. Just let them believe what they believe. There's other yeah. kids, just don't tell them that. He's, he's like, why don't you guys believe me? Santa Claus <laughs> is not real, you know? So he's Santa's not real. Oh, and there's the four-year-old. Man, we're getting them all today. What's up, buddy?
3: What's up, dude?
1: Hey, hey, is Santa Claus
3: real? No. no.
1: No. Why not? Why don't you think so?
3: Because
1: he isn't? Alright, well I guess that's as good of answer as any. Boy, and the puppy just showed up. Oh my goodness, we got the whole crew. There here. You go. He, Again, uh, for those of you who are only listening, you're missing out. Gotta get on the YouTube and check it out there. Two too.
2: two kids but, and a dog. Man, oh man. Missin missing one, you got the uh, whole family.
1: Uh, she's standing right outside the door, so it's, you know. But but yeah, the uh, I always have fun still with it now with the tooth fairy and the and Santa Claus but all right. Oh man oh man. Anyways, so what uh is there uh, I I think that we're we're finally hitting a wrapping point here with everybody showing up in the in the office. It seems like it's time to it wrap this want, up.
2: Lunch must it must be
1: lunchtime. Yeah, it must be something. Hey, there we go. Got everybody go. other than my wife. But. All right. Well, the dog's probably out peeing on the floor somewhere. So as the dog left the office. Enjoy but, that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so tell if, if anybody who's listening wants to reach out to you, whether it's for the coaching stuff, whether yeah. it's for real estate stuff, tell them, tell them everyone how they can uh, get a hold of you.
2: Yeah, well, we have, um, we have a website for our real estate development. It's at www.aspire, A-S-P-I-R-E, dev, dot com or devgroup, sorry, devgroup.com. Um, most people find me on LinkedIn. That's mm-hmm. where most people hit me up about coaching and and doing some one-on-one stuff or coming out to speak um, to their to their organization. Um, but I'm really excited I've got a a new podcast myself that we just launched and so we're we're showing up on a weekly basis and that's michael michaelandjohn.com um and it's called The Second Act. It's just about transitioning from something into something else and doing it with you know, doing it with support and we're trying to provide that support. So little, little secrets from us who are transitioning currently and getting into the next chapter. So
1: that's awesome. I, yeah. I wish we would have dug into that. Um, I had that in my notes to to chat with you about that podcast. Cause I, I love the, I love the concept I've, I've as a guy who's transitioned multiple times across multiple different things. And, you know, you and I obviously transitioning from the military into a, a new world, a new life. Um, it's definitely an important, uh, uh, important thing to talk, chat about, talk about, because right back to the communication Absolutely. side, if we're not talking about those hardships, we're not talking about those things that are, that are difficult, whether it's a job transition, a marriage transition, a you know, life transition, whatever the transition, like it, the communication yeah. side of it is extremely important. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. sorry, you're about to say something.
2: No, no, I, 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 the point of that whole podcast is to show people that you can come from this really high place, this mountaintop. Mm-hmm right? It felt like I was leaving from in in the Marine Corps and you want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, but that doesn't typically happen. It can, um, but there's, there's these valleys and I want to show people that struggle and kind of my journey and how I'm going from this mountaintop down to this low valley and how it sucks. And just kind of grinding it out, trying to figure out what makes things work and what sticks and, getting over imposter syndrome. And so I'm trying to display that in real life so that other people can jump on board and say, well, shoot, if that guy can do it, I can definitely do it. So
1: awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, um, again, you are the five people you hang around with most. So if you can surround yourself with folks who are doing what you're doing, you know, whatever transition you're at in life, you know, finding the right yeah. people to be around makes a huge difference. But uh, is there anything else that you want to cover before uh, before we actually leave? Any questions you have? Anything you want to, any parting guidance or advice or thoughts you have and for all i know this could be another 40 minutes if if, if we go down this (laughs) route so which i perfectly fine.
2: you know adam i it it's just what i'd say is encouragement it's great to see another dad who takes being a dad seriously yeah right we get one chance at this opportunity and we get one chance you know at marriage i mean not really. People get lots of chances if they want them, but if you go into it with the right mindset, you only need one chance. Um, and I think we as dads just have to really take our time seriously and, and realize the importance of our role, importance of the daily decisions that we make in front of our kids, in front of our wife, for our families, you know, and and how we act outside the house determines how we act inside you know garbage in garbage out and so i just wanted to say how much i appreciated you for what you're doing in real time in front of everybody with your kids and and podcast and and living that out with excellence so great job well,
3: i don't know
1: about how much excellence but i appreciate i appreciate it nonetheless so it's uh um it it if i am doing my job right they're going to be like i said better men than me so, you know, hopefully I, hopefully I'm doing it right. And the only way I'll find out is when they're off doing their thing. So hopefully time will tell, but thank you yes. so very much, John, for jumping on. You were uh, a pleasure to chat with as I knew you would be. Um, uh, I'm sure we could go on for another three, four hours, maybe bring you back on again and have more conversations about this. Um, Done. But uh uh, and hopefully we can meet up in person at some point for uh, hopefully, you know, our paths get the cross in some way, shape or form. But um, thank you so much for everything you're doing as a dad. Thank you for uh, thank you for your service, doing what you did for, uh, for the country. Um, it was a pleasure chatting with you and getting to know you. And hopefully, uh, hopefully one of my two listeners will reach out to you. So, but Perfect. Uh, thanks again, John. And thank you everybody Go for ahead. listening. Uh, please reach out to John if you uh, if you're looking for looking for a coach or um, um, some real estate investment stuff. So thank you everybody, and we'll see you on the next one.
0: See ya. Thank you so much for listening to the Biz Dad podcast. We hope you found some value in your time here with us, and we look forward to bringing you the next episode. If you've enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share so you and your friends won't miss our upcoming episodes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Rumble, where we continue these discussions and share more valuable content. Be the dad you know you need to be and run your business in a way you're proud to share with your kids. Keep crushing it.